everyone. It's Janelle Penny with Buildings Media and Interiors and Sources. I'm joined by William Colborn. He's an author and a structural engineer who's also a national expert in wind and flood mitigation. He's been involved in FEMA mitigation assessment teams and natural hazard damage assessments for about 20 years now. And he's here to talk to us about the impact of Hurricane Irma on South Florida and the Virgin Islands. Bill, what kind of damage did Irma do to the Virgin Islands in South Florida? Well, it varied between the two locations, as you might imagine. Um, the Virgin Islands, uh, being an island territory, um, is pretty hilly. And uh, so we, we definitely saw damage in places in the Virgin Islands that were impacted by wind going up um, ridges and escarpments in the hills. And so uh, we definitely saw damage in those locations. Um, but there was damage to older uh, construction as well. Some of the schools were um, older, had not been uh, refurbished or, or rebuilt in quite a while, and so some of the older structures where uh, the salt air and salt water had gotten to them over a, a long number of years, um, you know, had some impacts as well. The wind speeds in the Virgin Islands were higher than they were in Florida, so that was um, also uh, part of the, the the damage assessment and part of the reason why we saw um, some significant damage uh, to some parts of the of the built environment in in the VI and and specifically um, the visit that I made was to St Thomas so I was not too uh, I didn't visit all three of the Virgin Islands I was just on St Thomas in Florida in the Keys uh, primarily. Um, there was damage, but most of the damage there was caused by one of two things, I would say. Uh, one was windborne debris, so um, even though the, we think the wind speeds were near the 120-mile-an-hour range, uh, it did take out a lot of trees and a lot of vegetation, blew that stuff around, and it definitely had some impact on things like siding on buildings and some roof cover. Um, and then we saw damage in what I call, what we call the building envelope, so the part of the building that keeps the weather out. So soffits in residential buildings uh, still saw some damage. Uh, older roof covering and older uh, siding on buildings uh, saw damage. But there, where the Florida Building Code is enforced, um, the general performance of buildings, at least in the 125-mile-an-hour wind speeds that they experienced, were... Um, much better. They were, I would say the Florida Building Code was doing a good job of um, making sure that new construction or newer construction withstood the impacts of high wind. What can we learn from the differences between the two in the extent and the type of damage? Would you like to see something uh, as stringent as the Florida Building Code perhaps enforced more widely? Well, across the nation, um, I'm sure most people know that we have what is, um, you know, called the International Building Code that we enforce here in the United States. Um, and where um, that building code has been adopted, um, then when buildings, when, new, when buildings are built to the newer building codes, we know that they perform better. So I guess what I would like to see um, and I think the, the VI is moving in this direction. I think what I would like to see is the Virgin Islands adopt the most 
current um, version of the International Building Code um, and make sure that buildings that are built there get the same, get the, the you know, proper amount of uh, design attention, uh, certainly from engineers that can um, put together a building structure that will resist the high winds. Um, I think that's the primary thing that I would like to see, and I, I think what the the construction and the performance of that construction in South Florida uh, taught us as it relates to the VI. Great. What are some new approaches that we should be thinking about when we're looking at wind and impact resistance in buildings, either in Florida or the VI or anywhere in the country? Well, uh, that's a moving target. That's a great question, but it's a moving target. So I, what, what I've learned over the last 20-plus years or so is that it seems like every time we figure out how to um, make the building better, um, make it more robust, make it more resistant to certainly high winds, then some other part of the building that we have not paid as much attention to um, starts to um, look not as good to us because the weaker links are what's failing in the building. So years ago when we improved how the building's frame stayed together so you didn't get a building collapse or you didn't get major sections of the roof coming off or whatever, then once that started to improve, then what we saw um, start to fail were things like roof coverings, so shingles and roof tile and stuff like that, and soffits around residential buildings, um, and then sometimes glazing systems. Um, so I think what I would like for us as a design community to be doing constantly is to look at um, what what is the next thing we need to be working on? So one of the things we need to be working on right now, I think, is um, there are impact resistance standards for glazing already in place. They're enforced in South Florida, and they're enforced everywhere where uh, building wind speeds reach a certain trigger and where we expect there to be windborne debris. So those standards are enforced around Texas, Louisiana, uh, up the coastline, you know, where the wind speeds are greater than 130 miles an hour. That, that's already done. What What is not part of that um, testing, though, is what happens with wind-driven rain. So the window, I'll, I'll use an example of a window, the window may resist the impact from a piece of debris, but it still leaks water when there's a 130-mile-an-hour wind blowing rain against it. So, and depending on how many windows or doors there are in a building, that can be a substantial amount of water that causes a significant amount of damage. So um, that would, those are the kinds of things, that's a, one example of the kinds of things I think we need to keep our eye on constantly um, and work towards improving um, the building performance, you know, as we move forward. Um, it's sometimes hard to guess what might show up next. Um, but uh, certainly the wind-driven rain issue is one that I know has, has occurred and did occur uh, from Irma, uh, both in Florida and the VI. Do you think that wind-driven rain is kind of the next stop for that moving target that you mentioned, or how do you think the codes and standards should evolve from here? Well, um so I think I think it might be the next target. Uh, there are a lot of players in that uh, wind-driven rain game, if you if you will. 
Uh, certainly, the the starting point probably is to determine how much wind-driven rain should we try to keep out. It, you know, I don't think our realistic target is zero. Um, just because if you get all the way up to design wind speeds in South Florida, say of 180 miles an hour, I don't know that trying to keep every drop of water out of the building is a realistic target. But so I think, you know, the next step I think would be to talk about what should the targets be for reducing the amount of water we get in, in the building. And then, you know, the manufacturers and with along with a lot of research have to figure out how to do that. Um, I think it's not an easy task to have a window that you want to operate, slide open, lift open, uh, crank open, and still be able to significantly reduce the amount of water you get inside the building without doing some research. So um, I do think that's probably, I mean, I'm trying to think about the other examples of, of losses that we have seen and saw from Irma. I do think that is the next significant target of building product improvements that we ought to be thinking about. Um, the next one, though, I think might be to figure out how to do a better job of um, resisting deterioration and decay in buildings. Some of it we know how to do already, but um, but there's a significant amount of um, corrosion that occurs, you know, in the salt environments that are normally impacted by hurricanes. And those environments also are usually pretty wet, and they bring termites or wood bores or other sorts of um, wood-eating um, varmints, if you will. And um, being able to make sure we know how to put the building together to resist those, I think, is maybe, um, you know, something that ought to be on our list. Definitely. Are there things we can do right now to try to resist uh, decay from those kinds of environments if you know that you already live um, or own a building in an area where that's a problem? Well, right now, it's already pretty much a requirement in the case of metal to use something that's galvanized. So you don't want to use carbon steel in a salt water environment because it will corrode very quickly. So we already know we should be using galvanized steel at, at the very least. But um, galvanized steel uh, will frequently um, have the galvanizing taking off, taken off of it just by the way it's installed. So you drive a, a, a galvanized nail with a hammer, and when you hit it with a hammer, you chip some of the galvanizing off of the metal. Um, so we could go to stainless steel. We know how to do that now. Um, but stainless steel, um, you know, comes with a cost. And so um, owners, builders, um, code officials, whoever is involved in the game, you know, need to, you know, know what those uh, benefits versus costs are. I, mean, I think in some cases we should be using stainless steel so that you don't ever have to worry about it or you don't have to worry about it, you know, for 40 years or something. Um, so so that's part of the equation. The other uh, part is, yeah, we know how to resist um, things like termites and whatnot. We use decay-resistant wood, um, pressure-treated wood um, seems to work pretty well. Uh, for the longest time, you know, we thought that cedar was decay resistant, 
I'm here to tell you from my own personal experience that anymore, cedar is not decay resistant. It can get just as rotten as any other piece of untreated lumber. So, uh, you know, I think we, we need to make sure we have a, a good uh, selection of decay resistant materials to, to use. And we have a few, but we don't have a ton. And um, so I, I think that's something to just be mindful of. Looking back at your investigation in Florida and the VI for a minute, what do you think are the next steps for the investigation that originally explored that damage? Where do we go from here? Well, so I was part of two different teams uh, for each of those two investigations, so I'll do the Florida one first. So the investigation that I was involved in in Florida was funded by FEMA. Um, and FEMA also sent teams into South Florida, into the Miami-Dade County and um, um, uh, Broward County, and then uh, the uh, couple of counties that were on the western shore of Florida. Um, FEMA has already produced a report from that study. Um, I can't tell you the number of it because I'm not sure, but it will be free to the public um, and is or will be very soon um, on FEMA's website. So if somebody Googled FEMA, Florida, IRMA, MAT, M-A-T report, um, that information should be there. And as part of that effort, um, there are a list of recommendations and conclusions um, that, um, you know, have been suggested. In terms of the VI report, FEMA also sent a team to the VI, but I was not part of that team. So there, I think, I found this uh, today, that there is already an IRMA uh, USVI FEMA report on FEMA's website. And the, the same thing could be done. Um, it's free of charge and available to the public. And that report has a list of um, recommendations in it, conclusions and recommendations in it. The team I was part of for the VI was um, uh, sent by the American Society of Civil Engineers, and so our next step there is to actually get our report written. Um, we There were only three of us on the team, so three of us did a couple-of-day investigation of some specific um, items and issues that we felt might be helpful to our wind design standard that is published by ASCE. And so that's what we're looking into. And so we haven't done enough work yet there to even know what our conclusions and recommendations might be. But that's the next step for that report. Sure. Of the earlier report that you mentioned that is finished, what were some of the discoveries and some of the recommendations that came out of that? Well, um, so I'll have to do this from memory. I haven't, I'm not looking at the report. But, um, the report in the VI um, focused on a couple of things. So there's a little bit of history with the VI that I need to just explain for a second. Um, after the, there was a 1995 hurricane that hit in the Virgin Islands, uh, named Maryland. So it was Hurricane Maryland. And it was a pretty serious storm that mostly affected uh, St. Thomas. And after that storm, um, the VI had very little in the way of building code adoption, certainly no building code enforcement. Um, they got a lot of federal help after Hurricane Maryland, and part of the 
um, quid pro quo, if you if you will, was that the the territory needed to adopt a stronger building code, and they did. And as part of that uh, code adoption, they also put together a roof rebuilding program because many roofs in the Virgin Islands were pretty flimsy, if you will. You know, they're, they don't they they don't care much about insulation in the VI. They do care a lot about ventilation. Um, and, and yet many buildings aren't air-conditioned, and so um, it's really important to keep many of those buildings cooler. And one way to do that is to not have much roof structure. So uh, there was a lot – there were a lot of roof failures after Hurricane Maryland. So they put together a roof rebuilding program where um, there were prescriptive ways that, they, that um, owners, builders, architects had to rebuild the roofs. And one of the things that was seen was that rebuilding program helped a lot um, when Hurricane Irma came along, because that's probably the next storm, you know, that would have affected the, the VI in a major way. Um, and so that building code improvement and adoption and the rebuilding program for roofs, um, I would say, generally worked pretty well. And so that was a conclusion, and it was good to see, you know, that the investment in all that effort and roof rebuilding, you know, actually worked. Um, there were still examples, though, of buildings that took a hit when they were on a, a, a hill or an escarpment. And so I think one of the recommendations was that maybe the wind speed maps for the Virgin Islands should include this topography effect. So it would be easier for design professionals to figure out what the wind speeds and the wind pressures ought to be when buildings are sitting on tops of hills and escarpments. Um, trying to think of anything else. I think those are the two major takeaways in the VI that I remember. Are there any last takeaways that you can leave us with in regard to making sure that existing buildings are able to withstand storms like Irma? Ah, existing buildings. Well. You know, we have a lot more existing buildings than we do new. So, so, so one of the, one of the things in terms of takeaways that are, that is pretty important is for people with existing structures is to, um, get some sort of assessment done, uh, for their building about what, what the likely wind speed is, um, that their building could resist. And then FEMA has an existing building's wind retrofit program. The Institute for Business and Home Safety has a wind uh, retrofit program that makes recommendations and suggestions about what the, uh, where people would get the biggest bang for their buck if they um, tied their roofs down better to walls or if they replaced windows with impact-resistant glass or if they um, – uh, made sure their soffits didn't fail. So their, the, the retrofit, uh, examination and retrofit of existing buildings uh, can be a pretty important thing in terms of resisting these high wind speeds. Great. Well, Bill, thanks for joining us today. This has been really educational. Um, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is Janelle Penny with Buildings Media, Interiors and Sources, and we thank you for joining us today.